All right, good morning, everybody. Come on, are you ready? Ready to dive in? Family Circus. Y'all like, man, that's me. They didn't know I was coming to church. That's my family. It's my family, right? Hey, go ahead and pull your notes out. Let's dive in. Our theme verse, I love it. It's, uh, it's Psalm 127 and 1. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over this city, the guards stand watch in vain. There's never been a more relevant scripture to my life at many times than, than just anybody started a project and you didn't really know what you were doing, but you're just going to do it. And man, you just spin your wheels the whole time. And like no matter what, like I've worked on this car for six hours. All I've done is made it worse. <laughs> anybody been there? Like you just want to go like roll it out in the yard and burn it. Like you just get so frustrated, so angry. I, you just, ugh, you, that, that's how our family is many times. A lot of times, that's many times, that's how relationships are. I've tried everything and nothing seems to be working. That's how many times we are, if we struggle with addictions in life, I've tried everything. Nothing seems to work. I still go back to the same problem, same struggle, same stuff. What in the world am I going to do? And here's the truth, here's the reality. If we're all honest with ourselves, We've been laboring in vain. The Lord's not building your house. The Lord hadn't been building your marriage. The Lord hadn't been building your parenting relationship. The Lord really hadn't had his hands on anything. And we like to call ourselves believers and we like to say that he's in control. But in reality, we've been spinning our wheels and nothing seems to be working. And at some point, we've got to, disco we've got to discover that like I've either got to give God total control or I'm going to be spinning my wheels. Meaning this, I can't, I can't choose and decide what control I give him. Well, God, I, I, I'm not good at this. I need you to have control over this. But, man, I'm pretty good at this, handling this myself. I'm going to take that part. No, you, he's either got control or he doesn't have control. And here's the truth. Come on. Unless the Lord does it, unless the Lord does it, it's, everything's in vain. Last week, we kind of talked about that, the ringmaster. We talked about what that looks like. He is. Anybody love the circus around here? Circus fans, circus fans? I know some of y'all are like, I don't know. You're not, I can't say I like the circus anymore. I used to love the circus. I mean, it's, for me, I grew up ADD, ADHD, whatever you want to call it. It's got a new name all the time. Uh, the reality is I needed to change attention span about every 30 seconds in my life growing up. And it was awesome, right? You had three rings, and, man, everything was going on. And for the average person, person it's a little too much but for me it was great and the ringmaster controlled everything I mean you had people breathing fire and you had people trapeze artists and people jumping off of diving boards into little mini, miniature pools and you had clowns running everywhere now that was not a little too much you know what I'm saying but I mean all the kinds of stuff and it was so good and completely controlled by one individual if the ringmaster got off sync if he messed up something, then the whole show was out of sync. And many of us think we can live our lives in control when in reality, the only one that can fully be in control is God himself. So last week we talked about it. We asked the question, who's actually in control of my family? 
Well, today I want to talk to you about walking a tightrope. Walking a tightrope. Anybody been in the circus or maybe you've seen uh, documentaries or television, you've seen people, tightrope walkers. Um, there's, been, there's lots of documentaries you can watch. It's really phenomenal. I mean, it really is pretty incredible to see how these people go hundreds of feet in the air and keep their balance walking on a rope, y'all. A rope, like it's insane. Like there, it's widely considered one of the most dangerous stunts in history. Uh, it's death-defying. It's crazy high. They're hundreds of feet in the air. Many times they're walking over a hundred feet in length, in hundreds of feet in the air with wind blowing every which way. It's pretty incredible. It's widely considered one of the most dangerous stunts. Like it takes incredible physical strength, mental stability. Like they can't be afraid of anything. And like most people would say they have to have some sort of a death wish. You know what I mean? Like, like you got to be like not worried about that at all. But if you talk with professionals, you'll learn like there's a handful of skills, right? Like once learned, once put into practice, what looks crazy with the rest of us makes it a little easier for them. They're not just on a whim out making hor- like doing it. Like they've practiced years and years and years of practice. And one of the number one rules they'll tell you in walking a tightrope is you've got to you've got to respect the dangers. Like you've got to respect the dangers. And the truth is, like so many families in our culture, we're attempting, we attempt to live our entire existence on that exact thing, a tightrope. Like we just find ourselves living life this way. And I don't know if you're like me. When I was little and I used to watch somebody walk that and I used to see them do that and they start the drum roll. And the lights go out and they're like they started creating tension. You know what I mean? Like the tension goes up and your heart starts beating. You're like, why is my heart beating? I'm not, I mean, like it's like you're nervous with them and you see them perform the stunt and you're just like they do it and everything works out and you're just like, oh, thank God. That was, uh, that was, right? Well, listen, tension in some environments is great. That same tension every day of your life leads to a heart attack. You know what I mean? Like the, the environment, the, the adrenaline rush in a moment is awesome. But to live every day of my life in that adrenaline rush, am I going to fall? Is it going to be okay? Are we going to make it? Is, are the bills going to get paid? Is my marriage going to be okay? Are my kids going to do something stupid today? Like we've, we live in a constant state of anxiety over life. Is everything going to be okay? Is today the day they're going to go back to the same ways? Is today the day, even though I've tried, the, the foot's actually going to drop and I'm going to run out of everything? Like we walk a tightrope. And what's okay in some environments is actually pretty detrimental to my health and others. And so what I'm saying is God's not called us to be tightrope walkers every day of our life. God, the Bible talks about it in Scripture. There, you'll never find a place in the Bible in which, the, in which it, it is said of God that he took me off of a firm foundation and placed me on a rocky one or a slippery one. No, no. Anytime we ever hear of God doing anything good with humanity in all of the Bible, it's he took me out of a slippery spot. He took me out of a miry clay where I was sinking and he placed my feet on solid ground. He put me on a firm foundation in which I knew at least I'm not going to fall. He's guiding me. He's directing me. He's holding me up. That's the purpose and plan of God. So what does it look like for us 
to stop living our lives on this tightrope. How far is too far? How close to culture can I get and not fall? How many times can I keep going back over and over and over again, hoping that this time will be the right time? This time will be the time that it takes. This time I'm just going to be able to walk the tightrope. Can I tell you? It'll never be a time when you can walk the tightrope on your own. What does it look like for me to begin to respect the dangers and live a life that honors Jesus in spite of it? So, all right? So, we're going to pray. We're going to dive in. I'm going to talk with you some dangers of what that looks like. And then I'm going to give you some really practical things, three practical things as a family that I believe can make all the difference, all right? Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your word. It's alive and breathing. It's for us. God, if we don't hear anything today, let us hear a word from you. That we would walk out of this place today. We would walk away from an online experience today. Inspired to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you. Oh, that you would put our footing on a solid surface. And that we can walk in faith knowing that you are in complete control. You'll get all the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, One of the tightrope dangers that we all have to respect. Heights. Heights. Anybody afraid of heights in here? Anybody, anybody? Some of us, some of us. Uh, I've learned that I'm not so much afraid of heights as much as I'm afraid of falling. <laughs> I just don't, uh, I'm not so much afraid of being on up there. I just want to be in control. Uh, one time I took my wife, I didn't know she was afraid of heights. We, we went on a date night here in Birmingham and I took her out to the Vulcan. Come on, anybody been to Vulcan here in Birmingham? And we climbed up, we walked up the stairs uh, that time. We, uh, you know, by the time you get to the top, if you're like me, you're just huffing and puffing. Uh, we got all the way to the top, and I remember walking out and w- looking back, and I was by myself. <laughs> what happened? And then I look back, and my wife is hands and knees crawling out on the Vulcan. Because, you know, you can look down, and it's like metal grid, and you can see. And it's not, I didn't think it was that far up. Turns out it's far enough for her to be petrified, terrified of heights. And, and so, like, she's afraid of falling to her death. And here's what I've learned about walking tightropes and, and watching people walk tightropes. It's not really entertaining if they're two feet off the ground, is it? Like, it's not really entertaining to watch somebody try to keep their balance on the curb outside in a parking lot. Hey, watch this. Check out what I can do. Right? It gets real entertaining when they're 200 feet in the air and they may fall to their death. Like, there's just something about humanity. We love watching people defy death. (laughs) Like, we love it. Oh, my God, are they going to fall? This is going to be crazy. And you can't take your eyes off of it. The Bible kind of talks about what that looks like in life in in a spiritual sense. 1 John 2, verse 15, it says, Don't love the world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only, listen to this, A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. You know what I've discovered over the years? I'm uh, about to be 39 years old, and I've, I've realized this. The more things that I love in this world, the higher I tend to be climbing. The Bible, call, I mean, the culture, culture calls it climbing the ladder. Just climbing the rung, climbing the ladder in the world. You just need to keep going, keep doing, keep getting, keep achieving, keep getting. And, the, and, and as we talk about that, the Bible actually speaks against that. 
It says, don't fall in love with the things of this world and all the things that it offers. The more I fall in love with this world and fall in love with the achievements that I can gain, the higher I'm climbing, and the higher I'm climbing, the higher the stakes. It's not so hard when, there's, when I'm two feet off the ground. It's not so difficult when I start out in this world and I'm, I, I started out, I got married, I was making $100 a week. Right? The stakes aren't as high. But the higher the stakes, the more danger you're in. And many of us have gotten to the point in our life where our stakes are so high and we're walking a tightrope and we live in anxiety, wondering, how's the new mortgage going to get paid? How's the, how, how in the world am I going to sustain where we've gotten ourselves financially? How can I continue increasing the stakes in my relationships, increasing the stakes in my career, increasing the stakes... Falling in love with things of this world, falling in love with culture, growing, stepping higher and higher and higher, and the stakes are more dangerous, they're more dangerous, they're more dangerous. And you're just like me, I don't know about you, but anytime I see people doing high-stake things, you almost can't take your eyes off of it, can you? Like, it looks so dangerous. They're, they're literally about to die, but I can't stop watching. That's, it's heights. It's what makes tightrope walking so entertaining. It's what makes people want to see it. But the the dangers are, once you get so high, if you fall, guess what? You're probably not going to make it out alive. Number two, number number two danger is the weather. The weather. Every legit tightrope walker is legit dependent on the weather. It's kind of like when you see rocket launches. You know, if, if if the weather changes one degree... One way or the other. If the wind blows one degree harder than what they thought, they call the whole thing off because it's too dangerous. Well, tightrope walkers, if you talk to professionals, like they do the same thing. If the wind's blowing one degree difference than what we thought, it's too dangerous to do it. The smartest people in those moments when the weather gets bad, they just cancel the stunt. They don't do it. But I can tell you this, history tells us, and there's plenty of articles and video uh, over the hundreds of years of people doing this, there have been plenty of stupid people that decided to try it anyway. <laughs> even, in the win- even in the bad wind and even in the bad, there's more people that don't make it than do make it. And here's the reality. If you're a legit tightrope walker, if you're like the one, if you're a professional, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty bad to put on a harness. Like they don't, oh, you're not a real one. You, you, you're, you don't really, you're not true to the, to the sport. You're not true to the skill. Don't put on a harness. You're out there on your own, high above everything. And the weather might get bad. It's, it's a death wish, right? Here's the truth. Can I tell you something? Are you ready for this? It's 2023, and the weather's going to be bad this year at some point. Let me read it to you. You ready? Ecclesiastes 9 and 12. People can never predict... When hard times come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. One, two, three. Suddenly. Suddenly in tragedy. They're caught in sudden tragedy. Come on. There's so many times that we don't realize. Like we just didn't see it coming. 
I didn't see this financial trap. I didn't see this trap in my marriage. I didn't see this trap with my kids. I didn't see the weather getting bad. But here's the truth. I don't know what you've been told as far as faith goes. I think we've done a tragic, we've, like, we've done a horrible thing over the years as it comes to cultural Christianity, helping people to think that as long as I trust in Jesus, nothing will ever be difficult. But that's never been true. The Bible reminds us it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to everyone. No one can predict the weather. Hey, y'all, it's 2023. We've got more technology today than we've ever had in the history of the world. Would you agree with that? Experts say that we're almost to the point where knowledge is increasing. In the 1900s, it increased almost every decade. We're to the point now where knowledge increases in humanity almost weekly. Almost weekly. Like, we have more technology today than we've ever had in the history of the world. And you know what? I don't understand it, but we still can't trust the weatherman. (laughs) Y'all know good and well. They'll get up there and tell you something about the weather, and you still can't trust it. Well, it's going to be perfect and sunny and beautiful. I'm still going to take an umbrella because I don't trust it. Because they can't. How many times have you been caught in bad weather when the weatherman told you something different? Recently, like, you still can't trust it. Here's the truth. We can't trust the weather. Here's one thing I know. This year, there's going to be some victories in your life. There's going to be some things that you know went well, and, and man, it was awesome. Can I tell you another truth? The weather's going to get bad. There's going to be some things in your life where things did not go right and you did not see it coming and you don't understand why you're in the predicament that you're in. But I've learned one thing. There's a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 4. I want to read it to you. Jesus told his disciples, they've been preaching all day long the gospel and he told his disciples after speaking to thousands of people, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side of the lake. He had a purpose. He had a plan. They got in the boat, started rowing to the other side of the lake and the Bible says that a massive storm came. Now, that messes with your theology a little bit if you believe as long as I obey Jesus, there's, there'll be never, nothing bad will ever happen. Because they walked in complete obedience to Jesus. They did exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And here comes this storm, such a bad storm that professional fishermen who had been in storms and been trained how to handle storms their entire lives, even in this storm, they were terrified. Listen to what it says, Mark chapter 4. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, and his head was on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? Then Jesus woke up, and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Here's what I've discovered. I would much rather be in the boat with Jesus when a storm comes than up 200 feet up in the air in a tightrope all by myself. Where would you rather be? The weather is going to get bad. We can spend our days hoping that everything goes good by ourselves, keeping the balance. Or, or we can trust that Jesus has got it all worked out, working it out on our behalf. What would you rather be? Because the weather's going to get bad. You've got to respect the weather. Number three, this one's huge. You've got to respect the surface. It really doesn't matter if it's the greatest tightrope ever created in the history of mankind with the very best technology ever. Y'all know what it is? It's still a rope. It's still a rope. It's still dangerous. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. 
Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? Well, that's rhetorical, but uh, no. Any tightrope walker in the history will say, it's not, when you, it's not if you fall, it's when you fall. You can't walk, we were not designed to walk on a quarter of an inch of rope, swaying every which away, stretching under all the tension, and not eventually fall. Every person that's ever walked a tightrope has eventually fallen at least some point in their career. So it's not, it's not if, it's when. And I tell you, many of you are in the room today and you're living your life as a family, as a husband, as a spouse, as a wife, as a parent. And you're walking a tightrope with culture. And you're hoping you can get it right. And you're hoping that the next step you take is not the one that's detrimental. I hope the next step I take is not the one that, that, that kills my marriage. I hope the next step that I take is not the one that the weather comes and my, my kids are in detriment. I hope that the next step is not the one that's going to take me out. But what if it is? Because we can't predict the weather. And when you're walking on a rope, it's inevitable you're going to fall at some point. So I want to share with you three things that I believe can help us overcome a tightrope, all right? What does it look like in my family right now for me to begin to walk in this and overcome walking the tightrope? Number one, none of this is going to be mind-blowing, but I promise you it'll change your life. You ready? You ready for this? Pray together. Pray together. Oh, my prayer life is just between me and the Lord. No, no, no. If you have a family, your prayer life is public in your family. It ought, to be a, it ought to be something that is modeled in your life. The Bible talks about it in James chapter 5. It says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great and powerful, is great and powerful, and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. How are your kids learning to pray? How is your spouse learning to pray? I hear people all the time, man, I wish I could pray like you. I, I'm just not any good at prayer. I'm not good. I feel so insecure when I'm praying in public or I'm, or I'm trying to pray out loud. I'm just not good at it. You know why? Because you're not doing it. I'm not good at prayer either. Y'all know I didn't even grow up in a Christian home that prayed ever. But you know what happened? I just started praying one day. And eventually you get good at the things. You get better at the things that you do consistently. When's the last time in your family, with your kids or with your spouse, that you held hands and you just prayed to God to give some direction? You just asked the Lord to bless your family. When's the last time that prayer was modeled for you as a husband? When's the last time that prayer was modeled as a parent? Like praying together is the single most powerful thing that you can begin to do to disciple your family into a firm foundation with the Father. You know why? Because prayer doesn't change the mind of God. It aligns my life with the purpose and plan of God. When's the last time you prayed together? We pray before meals and bed. We pray as often as we can. In my house, like I, I usually leave the house early. I leave the house sooner than my wife does on Sundays. And uh, the, 
my, the drive from my house to church on Sunday mornings is a prayer meeting. It just is. And so a lot of times my kids, like, they want to ride with mom because they know dad's going to uh, turn off the radio and we're just going to pray. And uh, sometimes my kids are like, what the heck is going on? Like, like, but I'm modeling it to them. We're teaching our kids to pray, and they don't necessarily love it. There's some insecurity in our kids when we ask them to pray publicly, publicly because they're not necessarily great at it. But you know what? We don't despise the day of small beginnings. We're going to teach them how to pray. The greatest thing that they'll, the greatest tool that they'll have in their life after they leave my house is a is an attitude and a posture of prayer. They're not going to come to me wondering if Dad's always got all the right answers because there's plenty of times that I go, sweetheart, I don't know, shepherd, I don't really know the answer. But you know what? Let's ask God together. Let's let the Lord give us some direction. Let's let the Holy Spirit guide our family. Hey, our marriage isn't so good. When's the last time that we stopped trying to figure it out in our own strength and our own ability and said, let's just spend some time in prayer together. You ain't got to have two-hour prayer, prayer uh, experiences in your home. Just spend some time. Start somewhere. Pray together. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've told you that. I didn't grow up in a home that really valued prayer. So the, the, the model that I was taught growing up was, well, we've done all we can do. Now I guess all there's left to do is, anybody else use that model? We've done all there is to do. I guess we should just pray now. Y'all, prayer, listen, as a follower of Jesus, I'm begging you, stop letting prayer be your last resort. Let it be your first response. And I promise you, God will begin to change things in your family. So pray together. Number two, write this down. You need to read together. The Bible. Read the Bible together. Let the word of God be the final say in your home. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If prayer aligns our homes, the word aligns our hearts. If prayer is going to align my life with his purpose and plan, the word is what he's using. To align my heart to that purpose and plan. What authority does the Bible have in my home? Answer that question. Honest to God, what's a, what authority does the Bible actually have in my home? When's the, time I've actually, when, when's the last time as a husband or as a wife I've actually went to the word asking for direction versus using the word to proof text my own opinions and ideas? When's the last time I've submitted to the word of God and said, God, you've corrected me today? I've been corrected by the word, and I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to live my life in truth to the scripture. Do we allow it to be the final authority in my life? Here's my challenge to you today. I want you to go home this week, and I just want you to begin to read the Bible with your family. Now, I want us to use some common sense. If you've got a toddler, like put the, put the Greek lexicon up and just pull out the storybook Bible. You know what I mean? Like Let that begin in your home at the level of your kids. Begin in your home at the level of the, of the youngest faith believer in your home. Your spouse and your wife is a brand new believer. Or your husband is a brand new believer. Stop trying to come in here with all the heavy hitting stuff. Like just start somewhere. Read a proverb a day together. Just open the word of God. Read a verse. Start doing one Bible verse a month. See if your family can memorize one Bible verse a month. Jesus wept. A very good one to start on. Y'all got it. All right. It's a good one. 
Hey, Jesus wept. Man, it shows the compassion and the heart and the love of God for his friends and for his people. Powerful verse. Start there. Hey, this month, we got it. We, we're, we're, we're one for one. Start somewhere where you begin to learn the authority of Scripture in the life of your family. I started this a couple of years ago. Um, I've, I, I have a Bible that I preach from and that I read and study with consistently. And a couple of years ago, the, uh, the Lord gave me a burden for people. And it started really with my family. And it actually started with my daughter. And, and so the Bible that you see me a lot of times with that I preach from and I read from, uh, I, I began to study that scripture, study that Bible. And in that Bible, every note that I make in that, in that Bible is actually made out to my daughter. And so every single note that I have in that Bible is completely made out to her, and it's instruction to her, and it's my prayer for her, it's my heart for her. And, I, and it always starts with Bella, or, or, or my Bella, or my girl. whatever it is, I'm addressing it to her. And when I'm done studying that Bible, I'm going to give it to her, it's going to be hers. She can do what she wants to with it, she can throw it away, I don't care, but it's my heart for her. I'm going to do the next one with my son, I'm going to do the next one with my wife, I'm going to start praying for people to give these things to. It's just a, it's, it's been a practice of mine to, to value the word of God above all other things in my life and in my family. Hey, y'all, I don't always get it right. I don't get it right a lot of times. I read the Bible through in a year, every single year, and there is a whole bunch of times where I've got to read like the last six and a half weeks at the end of the year because I have missed it all those many days. We don't always get it right, but I'm telling you, despise not the day of small beginnings. God loves to see the work begin. What today can I begin to do to value God's word in my family. And then number three, I'll write this, write, this, write this down. You need to begin to serve together. We're going to pray together this year. Hey, we're going to read God's word together. We're going to value God's word. And we're going to find ways to serve together. I love 1 Peter 4.10. Paul writes this. And he says, he said, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well. Listen to this. Underline this in your notes. To serve one another. Use them to serve one another. Your gifts, your abilities, the things God's blessed you with in this life, use them to serve one another. Not selfishly. Not for your own vain growth or your own vain ambition. God's blessed us to be a blessing. Am I living a life? Am I modeling a life of servanthood to my family, to my spouse, to my kids? Or if I'm honest, am I modeling a life of selfishness? You're never more like Jesus than when we're serving others. Here's what the Bible says in in John chapter 13 on the screens. It says, after washing their feet, the night before he died, he washed their feet. He put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked. This is so powerful. Hey, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right because that's what I am. And since I am your Lord and teacher, I have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Hey, man, you call me Lord. You call yourself a Christian. You go to church. You say you're, you're, you're a Christian family. You say that. Then do what I said to do. Then model what I said to model. Stop living a life of selfishness. Stop doing and making decisions in your own strength and your own ability that only does good for you. 
Start looking at others through the lens of Jesus. Start looking at your husband, at your wife through the lens of Jesus. Husband, start looking at your wife like Jesus looks at the church, who for the love of the church gave up everything for the church. Start serving one another well. Lay down your own selfish ambition and start picking up a heart of servanthood. How do I do that? Ways to serve together. Well, man, you can join the C team here at the church. Plenty of ways, lots of ways you can find and you can begin to serve every single week in the local church. Hey, we got an incredible food bank here in Alabaster that serves every single weekend, the least of these and people in need. Find a way to get your family to serve on the weekends in some way, somehow. Get, a, get out and look for opportunities to, be, uh, to look for the least of these and begin to serve people. God's blessed us to be a blessing, so we're going to live a life of servanthood and we're going to let Jesus make the difference in our family. Hey, you want to see God to begin to do something incredible in your life? You want to stop walking this tightrope every day, wondering, is today going to be the day? Is this month going to be the month? Walking in fear constantly? Then get off the tightrope. Put your feet on the firm foundation that Jesus puts in your life. And I promise you, it'll make all the difference in your marriage and in your family. I'm going to pray for you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? So our band's going to come. Nothing funny or weird's going to happen, I promise. I'm just going to pray with you. This is a moment for you right now to, to survey your own life. Maybe you're here today, and if you were blatantly, brutally honest with yourself, you're so exhausted trying to balance everything in your own strength and your own ability. Am I going to get it right today? Is my wife going to get it right today? My family? It's hard. It's exhausting. It's exactly right. And I'm going to tell you, it ain't if you fall, it's when you fall. Apart from Jesus, we're going to make a mess of it. So maybe today could be the day that you step off the tightrope and you step onto a firm foundation. Maybe today you say, well, Brandon, I'm, I'm, man, that's, that's embarrassing. I've called, myself a, I've called myself a Christian all these years. I've called myself a man of God or a woman of God all these years. Man, if everybody found out that I really wasn't following Jesus or if everybody found out that that's... Who cares? Who cares what people think if you finally get to step off of the tightrope and step onto a firm foundation? Who cares? Can I tell you what? Everybody who's ever been restored by the goodness and grace of God, who's ever walked through what they would call the humiliation of having to admit their own failures and their own mistakes and, and their own addictions and all that stuff, can I tell you what any, what 100% of them have ever not said on the back end of it once Jesus has restored them? Boy, that was a mistake. I wish I hadn't have done that. Nobody's ever said that. They've all, everybody, me included, have all said, thank you, Jesus for taking me off on the tightrope and putting me on a firm foundation. Maybe today that's you. This is your firm foundation. You would say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm so sorry I've done it in my own strength and my own ability. Today's the day. I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. Trying to stay up this high. The weather's bad. It's not good. I'm tripping. I'm falling. I don't know what to do. Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. I accept you as Savior, and from this day forward, I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to follow you as Lord of my life. I believe with all of my heart that you died and rose again, and you came back to life conquering death, hell, and the grave. And from this point forward, you are my Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, for salvation. God, I pray for every family in this house. God, that we would live our lives committed to the call and purpose and plan of God. Jesus, thank you for taking us off of a, a slippery footing and putting our, our family, my marriage, my family, my, my kids on a firm foundation. And from today forward, God, we're going to walk it out, not by sight, but by faith, knowing that you work all things together for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose. You'll get all the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Can you honor Jesus today? Come on, he's worthy.